0: Let me describe a, uh, a scenario, I wonder if you can relate to it. Let's say that you were talking with somebody in your, in your world, this is maybe at school, this is a uh, neighborhood, at work, somebody that you've known for a while, maybe you've worked with them for a number of years, worked on projects together, worked in the cubicle next to him or her, whatever it may be. and. Uh, One day you're talking with them, and they happen to let it slip. They say something about being a Christian, and that they go to such and such a church. In fact, maybe they go to your church. And inside, you're not sure whether to faint or to vomit. Why? Because you know them, and what you know about them, there's very little that would seem to hint at the fact that they may be an authentic follower of Jesus. You have heard their language. You have heard them talk about the parties and the things that they are participating in and that they're doing, and you think to yourself, well, Can this person actually be a Christian? You feel shock inside about it. How can they say they are a Christian when their life seems to be in such contradiction to that? Or at least as you would define it. Now you might be squirming in your seats right now thinking to yourself, I don't like where this sermon's going at all already. And there might be a couple reasons for that. One is that you might be the shocking person in your workplace, and you know that. Uh, It also may be because you're thinking to yourself, well, who are we to judge? And if he's suggesting that we're to judge, I don't think I'm gonna like this at all. Can we slip out without anybody noticing? Because I feel something doesn't feel right to me already about this. Or you may be thinking this, nobody's perfect. We're all under grace anyway. So it don't matter. It doesn't matter if your walk is in contradiction to your talk. Because God loves us anyway. It really begs the question, does it not? How do we know if somebody's a Christian? Or perhaps personally more important to us, how do I know if I am a Christian? Is it because I say that I am? Or I have the talk? I've got the thing. I can, I, can, I can say and speak all kinds of spiritual things. Is that the evidence that I'm actually a Christian if I have the talk? Or is there something that is also important about the walk? And this is what 1 John, in the big picture, addresses. And in our text in particular, John is writing, remember, John is writing to a church community, a church family, that has gone through a split in which there were a group of people that followed a certain, some certain false teachers who were saying things that were in contradiction to the Apostle John. And they said, hey, let's get out of here. We don't like what John's saying. You follow us, and, and, and we'll, we'll, this will be a church more to our liking, and a gospel more the way that we think it ought to be. Now, what was John telling them? Well, I begin now reading our text is first John one verses five through seven. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what do you notice repeated there in the text? In fact, not only in that text, but if you move forward in verse 8, verse 9, and in verse 10. It is the little word, if. You have your Bibles. Are you looking? You see? If, if, if. And one of the tips when you're studying the Bible is to look for things that are repeated because it is a, it's a kind of clue as to the organization that the writer had and what he is trying to emphasize. And we have here two of the ifs, say specifically, if we say, or in the NIV, if we claim such and such. So the Apostle John here now is... Uh, is, is writing this, and we could ask the question, is he pulling these things out of thin air? Like, is he just sitting up there thinking, what should I write next? If. Or, is he actually addressing claims that people in this church who had left were actually making, and teachings that the false teachers were teaching? And indeed, that is the case. These are not out of thin air, these are in reality, this is what these false teachers were were, were claiming. Which, by the way, is a side note, can you imagine ever deciding to leave a church pastored by the apostle John? He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And here's the guy who ran to the tomb, saw it empty, who put his bosom on or his, his bosom, put his head on Jesus' bosom. Sorry, John about that. Um, and Uh, who Jesus gave charge for his own mother, Mary. Here's your pastor, that guy. And yet somehow they decide, oh, we don't want John as our pastor. Let's Let's go follow this other fellow. We like what he's saying more. And we see here the destructive power of a slightly altered theology, which appeals to the natural heart of man and men and women will leave even the apostle John to go to something more to their liking well we get a glimpse into what this slightly distorted teaching was uh, that allows false converts to talk the walk without walking talk the talk without walking the walk and he introduces it here now in verse 5 where he says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you And uh, by the way, the hymn there would be Jesus. We saw last week in verses one through four that John is saying, I am an eyewitness of what I'm talking about. This is what he, Jesus, told us. And he says it again now in verse five. This is the message that Jesus told us. So we could ask, okay, what was Jesus telling the apostles? And John now says it in verse five, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John begins his theology where all theology begins, and that is with the character and the nature of God. You get a distorted view of what God is like. Your entire faith, your entire system is also corrupted. So we begin with God, his character, his nature, and notice what John says about him. God is light, a very common Johannine theme, light and darkness. And it's a, it's a very effective metaphor, isn't it? I mean, you think about light, you think about darkness. Two things couldn't be any more different, could they? Where you have light, you don't have darkness. And where you have darkness, you, you don't have light. When light shows up, darkness goes away. When light goes away, darkness takes over. Are you with me? Okay, it's, it's very simple. This is one reason John used it, I think, is everybody kind of gets light and, light and darkness. They are mutually exclusive, as anyone who's tried to find their way through the family room at night could uh, attest to. In fact, I heard a definition of a shin, a device for finding furniture in the dark. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Darkness and light, very different. Even children know this. Children will say, and I remember when I was a kid, I remember saying and feeling in my, and I'm afraid of the dark. I have never heard a child say, I'm afraid of the light, right? Kids get it, light and darkness. John here says God is light. Now, in what way does he mean that God is light? Because we have light used in the Bible in, in, a, in a few ways. Let me give you some of them. First of all, Light is physical light, like these spotlights, like Genesis 1. In the beginning, uh, sorry, i got to go, uh, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and that light was physical light, like when you turn on the lights. Another way light is used is as a metaphor for life or for salvation. So Psalm 27:1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? We find light used by Jesus to describe himself as the source of spiritual life. He says, I am the light of the world. But those are not the ways that John is using it here. What he is saying here is light as a description of the ethical and the moral purity of God. He is light, and what he means by that is that God in his character and in his being, in terms of morality and and ethic, he is absolutely light. He is thoroughly, morally pure. He is, as the angels celebrate, holy, holy, holy. Not mostly holy, mostly holy, mostly holy, but thoroughly holy, thoroughly holy, thoroughly holy. Completely holy. So much so, that John adds the little phrase that in him there is no darkness at all. Now, what is is darkness? Darkness means hiding, right? Darkness means a place to put things that we don't want anybody to know about. Darkness is the closet. God doesn't have a closet. There isn't anything in God that is even inclined towards Anything that is the opposite of absolute moral purity, goodness, and beauty. He is light, thoroughly, holy. The psalmist celebrates the splendor of God's holiness. In fact, we find in the Bible this description of what God actually looks like. And those that have seen it describe him as dwelling in light. And we talk about glory light, or the Old Testament Shekinah glory, which Jesus displayed at the Transfiguration. That emanating expression of who God is that comes off of him in glory light. And that glory light is a light display of the intrinsic, eternal, and infinite worth of God. Is that the picture of God that you have? Absolutely, morally pure. Always has been, always will be. And John describes that character of God with the word light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Now why is this important? Why begin with a... Uh, a statement like that. Well, it is because of what he is getting to now. If God is intrinsically holy, if there is no uh, shadow of turning with him, if there is no darkness in him at all, there is no inclination towards temptation or sin or evil or wickedness in any way, can this God of absolute purity have fellowship with darkness? And the obvious answer is, no, he cannot. And this now John uses to counter the teachings of the false teachers who said that you can be a Christian and you can live any way that you want to. Come to my church. People are like, oh, let's forget Apostle John. I like that kind of, that's my kind of teaching. Let's go there. Now, you say, where does he say that? Well, look again at the text. If we say, so he comes off of God as light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, John introduces a new metaphor here. He begins with light. Here's the second one. Walk. Walk. And by that, he doesn't mean literally walk where I'm putting one foot in front of another. I'm falling forward and my next leg catches me. And I fall forward and my next leg catches me. And if I do that fast, I'm running. I thought that was a little humorous. At least you could smile at me. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. Physical walking. He is using it in this sense. It is a description of life or lifestyle. The manner of my life, the shape and the contour of my life, the orientation of my life these moral and ethical decisions that I am making, the guiding principles of my life, my walk. He says here, if I claim to have fellowship with the God who is light, and the manner of my life and the orientation of my life is not towards the light, but towards the darkness. Okay, he's drawing now this comparison and it's a an effective one what does it mean if i am inclined more towards the darkness in my life than i am the light if my walk is in contradiction to my talk now john uses this picture often even in his own gospel and here's one from John 3, just a few verses after the famous John three sixteen, which everybody loves to quote, and they hold the board, the sign up at the football games and all that. You don't see as much uh, clamoring over verses 19 through 21, because listen to what Jesus said. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Sinful men love the darkness. Now why is that? In fact, if we think about in the story, Genesis 3, what was the very first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They hid. They said, we gotta get out of here. Let's go find a place. And you know what? They weren't hiding from uh, the, the, the lion, and they weren't hiding from uh, the cow, and they weren't hiding from uh, the salamander. They didn't care what those guy, those animals thought. They hid because they knew What God is like. They knew that God is light. And the moment that they sinned, they wanted to find some darkness. Some place to hide their guilt and their shame. Sinful men love the darkness rather than the light. In fact, what does the moral beauty of God's purity, what does it reveal in sinners? What does it unveil? And I would illustrate it this way if, if you, uh, and, the, and the, the, the men and the boys here can relate to this, you ladies less so. And I'm sorry that you get so many male dominated illustrations in this church, but I am a male. And so my mind goes there. But if you're, man, men and boys here, maybe girls too, I don't know, uh, if you're walking down a road or you're walking in a pasture or somewhere and you see a big rock. The inclination of the male heart is to think to himself, A, can I throw it? And secondly, if it's too big, I want to roll it over. Is that just this male up here? If I see it, I I want to see what's, let's roll that thing over there. Come on, get over here, let's push it. So if you've ever done this, then tell me what you've seen. When you find a big rock and you take that rock and you lift it and you roll it over and then you look down to see, what do you see down there? Some of the most disgusting things in all the world are right there. Little maggots and little, little creepy, crawly things. And what are they doing as the sunlight is exposed to them? They are scurrying away, right? Trying to find some place to hide. And the ethical purity of who God is is like that for sinners, We feel fine as long as we're in the darkness. With all the other people that are in the darkness, our sin feels normal. The way that we live, it feels normal. But all of a sudden, when the light of the ethical purity of who God is shines down upon us, we feel guilty and we want to hide. We scurry down our holes to find a dark place because our true nature has been exposed. That's the way that it is. And now right now, we're, we're all sinners here and we feel fairly comfortable because all we do is hang out with sinners. We're like the maggots under the rock. We think, oh, we've, we're all good, man, right? There is coming a day, there's coming a day when the glory of God will be displayed and we will stand before him. And every time you find that glory on display in the Bible, the people who see it fall down in worship. James, John, and Peter at the transfiguration. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 has a vision of the, of the glory of God, and what does he do? He falls down and he says, woe to me, I am a man undone. I am a sinner. The light of God. Do you see God as holy? Holy. The holy, infinitely holy God who dwells in light and there is no darkness whatsoever. When that reality comes down upon sinners, we feel it. Even in small ways. I've told the story before. I love the story of the PGA golfer who, uh, it was a pro-am or something and Billy Graham was playing in the pro-am. And this guy was just sort of notorious on the tour for being a carousing, wild sort of guy. And, and one of his buddies says to him, he says, Hey, I hear that you're playing today with Billy Graham. And the guy's like, Billy Graham. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Well, the, the, the pro-am happened. And after it was done, this friend sees this guy on the practice tee. And he can tell by the way he is swinging at those balls. This guy, man, he is mad as anything. And he thought to himself, what must Billy Graham have said to him? So he goes down to the practice team. He says, hey, how did it go in there? I'm playing with uh, with Billy Graham. And he's like, Billy Graham. He says, well, what did he say to you? He said, he didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get it? He didn't say anything or if I might give another golf illustration, I remember a few years ago, I was playing at Yuki Country Club, and uh, I was there on a, on a day where they matched me with this other guy. I was there alone, and so we began to play, and, and right away on the first tee, I, I realized the sort of guy that I was playing with because it was blankety-blank this, and blankety-blank that, and blankety-blank, and that was a good blankety-blank hit that you just hit, and, <laughs> and uh, Okay, and so I asked him what he did for a living and his family and all this. Well, my blankety-blank wife and, you know, I I mean, just on and on he went with this for six holes until he had some enough courtesy to actually ask me a little bit about me. And he said, so what do you do for a living? And I said, uh, I'm the senior pastor at Bethel. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, he says. <laughs> Not one cuss word for 12 holes. <laughs> so you people say, oh, I can't help it, I can't help it. Yeah, you can. I didn't say anything, but I didn't have to say anything. Because in a very small way, a wee little bit of the glory of God was felt upon the conscience of an individual and he felt, he felt guilty. Walk in the light. So what do you say about somebody who claims to be a Christian, and yet the contour and the shape and the direction of their life is not in the light, not for the things of God, but much more towards the darkness. What do you say? I'll tell you what John says here. He says you're a liar. Truth isn't in you. And the sad reality in the church is that we have a lot of talkers. I say the church in America. We have a lot of talkers. In fact, in America, here we are in a Christian nation, we have a lot of talkers, don't we? Recent Pew Foundation poll said that in the United States of America, 78.4% of people identify themselves as a Christian. Are you a Christian? 78.4%? You betcha. I am a Christian. And yet you and I, we live in this world. Do 78.4% of Americans walk in the light? So what do we say about that? Well, they must be going to heaven because as long as you say that you're a Christian, that's all that's required. That's the sure evidence that you're genuinely saved is if you talk it. John says your talk doesn't matter. That is not evidence that you are a Christian. It is your walk. Now in saying that, I am not saying that it is the walk that saves you. The Bible is clear, it is faith in Jesus that saves you. But it is also equally clear that that salvation and the work of God in the heart of man where I am born again is such a transformational spiritual experience that it bears fruit And the fruit of that change is a growing orientation, not towards the darkness, but towards the light and fellowship with the God who is light. Does your walk justify your talk? One of the things that scares me, and one of the reasons that I hope 1 John bears good fruit in our church, is that no doubt there are many people here in this room who are not actually saved. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, trusted evangelical pastor-teacher Warren Wiersbe, said, it's it's time we come to the realization that in evangelical churches, 80%, 80% of people that fill the pews of, of these churches are not actually saved. Now, who am I to argue with Warren Wiersbe? But let's say that he said that as an overstatement. Let's say that he was twice wrong, and it's only 40%. And let's say that in a church like ours, where we're so much better than all the other churches, that we're wrong double again on that number, and that it's only 20% of the people here at Bethel Church. That means right here in this room, We probably have 150 of you who took communion, sang the song, and if you died today, would step into a Christless eternity. And I'm not God, and I'm not the judge, and I got plenty to worry about in my own life, okay? But in America, much like Ephesus, where it is easy to talk the Christian talk. We are foolish to think that that settles the matter, that that's the evidence that I'm a Christian. It is the walk that shows that we are followers of and fellowshippers with the God who dwells in light. Now, you say, well, that's sort of harsh. Talk to me one minute after you die. And if that statement leads you to salvation, I think you'll thank me. I don't want anybody here to be misled, to be a faux Christian. And that's the, the the daunting reality here is that you can think that you are saved and not be. Don't look at your talk, look at your walk. Now, there is a wonderful grace for all of us who maybe feel that and think, you know what, I feel I still am a sinner. And if I'm fellowshipping with the God who dwells in light, and I got to be as light, as pure as He is, then I'm damned. There is a grace here. We find it in verse 7. He contrasts now the false claim to reality. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What is false faith? False faith is lots of talk and no walk. What is genuine faith? It is talk. I am a follower of Jesus. And it is walk that orients towards the light. But that orientation is never perfect. And it is never total not while we are in this body, at least. So how do we then live in that tension where I am fellowshipping with a God who can have no fellowship with anything that is not morally and ethically pure and look in the mirror and know that I am a dirty, rotten sinner? How do I I bridge that? Well, we bridge it with the wonderful truth of the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. And John here navigates this very it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very fine line. Because on the one side, you don't want to say that your conduct after you're saved doesn't matter. And at the same time, you also don't want to say that your conduct has to be perfect. We want to, we want to thread that needle doctrinally. He navigates it by saying that there are three genuine evidences of saving faith. They are fruits. They are not salvation itself. Salvation comes only by faith in what Christ has done and who he is as Savior and Lord. There is forgiveness to be found in that. That is salvation. We're not saved by walking in the light. The only reason we want to walk in the light is because God has changed my heart. But those three fruits... First of all, he says, walking in the light. Walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, what does that mean? It means if if walking in darkness is an orientation towards sin and wickedness and the things of of, uh, this world, then walking in the light is a general orientation towards the things of God. A habitual desire, not a perfect one, but a habitual desire to please him. I walk in the light of God's beauty when I live consistent with it. It's a priority. We use the word obedience. Is that a bad word? No, it's a good word, right? Now the grace people are like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We're under grace. Yes, but that grace has taught us to say no to ungodliness, Titus says. It is a transforming grace and orients us towards the The light, which, by the way, is what we want anyway. It's what we want anyway. And I would say to you, if you're wondering about whether you should really buy into this whole Christianity thing, to have a cleansed conscience and to live according to the things that God has determined in this creation are beautiful and good is the life that every human being was made for. It is only a lie that says, man, the real thing is in the darkness. And young people, by the way, you listen to me on that point, because you're, I think, even more than anybody, sort of tempted to think, man, this is where it is at, man, it's in the darkness. No. It's in the light. That is the best life. It's the life God made for us. But I digress. (laughs) The Bible balances this with the fact that we are still sinners, Okay? We are still sinners. We have indwelling sin. Romans 7, the good that I would, I do not, the evil which I would not, that I do, Paul says. So it's not that we are perfect, but it is a directional thing. Okay? It's not perfection, but direction. My life is going towards the things of God. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And it has changed me towards the light. One commentator says this God is the source and essence of holiness and righteousness, goodness and truth. In him there is nothing that is unholy or unrighteous, evil or false. This being so, those whose fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, will in their lives reflect the character of God. They will walk as children of light. Walk in the light. Are you walking in the light? That kind of walk where I'm not, I don't have to feel like I gotta hide things. And I hope nobody finds out about that. And that sense of of you know, I think they said about, was it Mark Twain I think that said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember very long. Sin is hiding, sin is concealing, sin is worrying that somebody might find out the real me. It's to live as a fraud. It's to live uh, duplicitly. It's to pretend. It's to have a mask. It's a charade. It's a masquerade. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Who wants to live that way? Christ has come to set us free from all that junk and to live in the light of who God is, to live holy, purely. It's what we want. Second fruit that we find is fellowship with one another. It's a surprising thing he says here, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now we would expect him to say there, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. But he doesn't say that. He says we have fellowship with one another. Surprising. Why would John go horizontal in respect to The fruit of walking in the light. Here's why. One of the clearest evidences that somebody has actually been saved is that they dwell at peace and fellowship with other Christians. Now, here's how this works To be a Christian is to walk in the light. We've already established that. It means that I am not hiding my junk, I am acknowledging my junk. Before God and anybody else, I'm a sinner. What's baptism? I'm declaring I'm a sinner. And I need the grace of God. I don't feel like I've got to sort of put a pretend mask on in a charade. It's me. I'm naked spiritually before God and man. So here I am now in that state of vulnerability and authenticity before God. I'm walking in the light. I'm dwelling in the light. Well, as I'm here, I look over and guess what? Here's somebody over here going, I'm in the light. I got junk. My junk's worse than anybody else's junk, but I don't care because I'm a recipient of the grace of God. I'm a sinner. I'm in the light. I'm in fellowship with God. And this person looks over and they see me standing over here going, I'm naked. And this one's over here going, I'm naked. And we're like, we can get along. Why? Because I don't have to hide my junk, I don't have to pretend. I don't know why this comes to my mind, but there's great community in men's showers. (laughs) And anybody that grew up playing sports like me, all your life, doing that, great community. We're not hiding nothing. It's a little bit of a picture that I probably won't use next service. What he's talking about here. But maybe it will help us because I think there is way too much hiding and pretending in the American church. Where we don't want to think anybody we don't want anybody to think that we got junk. I got I got no junk. I know I'm a member of the church, and theologically we have to acknowledge that we're sinners, and I do that in a theoretical sort of way, but. My life is pretty much, it's good. It's real good. Did you see the Christmas card? (laughs) Children are smiling all the time. The report of the year, great grades, great behavior. We've gotten along great. No contention in the home. We're good. And we can fellowship with you as long as we feel that you are as good as we are. And that's why many people have no friends. <laughs> I actually didn't consider that funny. It's sad. How many people can be in a church, be around the church, no friends? And I would say one of the big reasons for that is that you are not authentic and humble enough to say, I got junk. And to be a Christian is to say, I got lots of junk. But when I can acknowledge that, now there is trust and that's the basis of all relationships, okay? When I walk in the light, as he's in the light, I have fellowship with other people who also are walking in the light and that is the bond of Christian love. The third thing we find here is doctrinally the most important. If we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Here is the wonderful truth. How do we continue to walk in the light when even as a Christian, I continue to have all too much darkness? Inclination still sinfully towards darkness, to think about the week that I just had, and to have things that were much more like darkness than light. How do I, who am I to say that I can fellowship with a holy God? Well, the answer to that here we find in that word cleansing. The word there doesn't mean one-time cleansing. It means ongoing cleansing. To be a Christian is to step into the light and say, I am a sinner. I want fellowship with you, which only comes through Jesus, appropriated by the Holy Spirit. God accepts us as sinners on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. Now I am in the light. And 10 seconds later, I possibly sin again. Do I have to get saved again? No, but I need to be cleansed. And we find that there is an ongoing cleansing. It is a work of the Holy Spirit appropriating the blood of Jesus on the cross to my moral and spiritual account that cleanses me from guilt from God and purifies my desires so that I stay in the light. Sanctification, progressive sanctification, growing, but always in need of forgiveness and always in need of cleansing. This is the Christian experience. We are not perfect, We never will be perfect this side of eternity, but we are ongoingly being cleansed and cleaned. It's like your house. You can clean your house, spick and span. You think, okay, now I've cleaned the house. Two weeks later, what do you have to do? You have to clean the house again. We are ongoingly in need of cleaning, and God provides a cleaning lady. John Stott, one of my dudes, wrote this. Christianity is the only religion which, by emphasizing that God is light, first insists on taking sin seriously and then offers a satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin. The way to have fellowship with a God who is light is not to deny the fact or effects of sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate God's provision for our cleansing. And that's the next few verses, and we'll get into it next week. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The way that Christians deal with sin is not to say, I don't have any, I don't have any, I'm perfect. But rather, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we do that, we stay in the light as God's provision For us, staying there is the cleansing of our hearts by the blood of Jesus, which maintains a renewed mind and hearts that want the things of God and keeps my life from walking in darkness so that my talk as a Christian and my walk remain consistent, not perfect, but consistent as I appropriate God's cleansing on a daily basis. Give us our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. There you have it. And that's the week that we have ahead. And I want to say this. If you're here, and what I talked about saying, the pretending and all that, today could be the day that you come into a genuine, saving relationship with the God of heaven through his son Jesus. And that would be a fantastic thing, it would be a source of joy. I met a girl before our service last night, a college student, she had just become a Christian, face was beaming, beaming with gladness and joy. It was wonderful to see. That can be you today. And if you are here and you are truly, genuinely a Christian, John's intent here is to shake up the pretenders and to assure the real Christians. And to look at your life and say, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I do find my heart orienting towards the things of God. I want his will in my life as best I can. And I got a ways to go, I'm a work in progress, I got junk, I'm not denying that, I'm a sinner, I need God's grace every day. All of those things are evidences that the Spirit of God is in your life and can reassure you that you are under the saving merits of Christ. So unbelievers and pretenders, Come to faith and bear true fruit. And those that see the true fruit, the walk, be reassured. God's salvation is within you. 1 John, more to come. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we thank you today that you have done this, that you have provided a way for us to be saved. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. And I pray that we might have a week as a congregation where we are walking in the light, nothing to hide. And when there is something that we feel, that we, are, we receive your grace, your cleansing, which is another opportunity to say, I've got nothing to hide. And may we walk in the light of the purity of who you are. And may this be to your glory and for your pleasure. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Dustin and I, we were talking about how we wanted to conclude the service, and I suggested a song, and as I thought about this song, I thought it's even more clearly, I think the songwriter read this passage and wrote this song. It fits perfectly, so we're gonna sing that song. Okay, you ready? Dustin, lead us. Sing into marvelous...